Chapter Forty One of Dope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Dope by Sax Romer. Chapter Forty One: The Finding of Casma. At a point just above the sweep of Limehouse Reach, a watchful river police patrol observed a moving speck of light on the right bank of the Thames. As if in answer to the signal, there came a few moments later a second moving speck at a point not far above the district once notorious in its possession of Radcliffe Highway. A third light answered from the Surrey bank, and a fourth shone out yet higher up and on the opposite side of the Thames. The tide had just turned. As Chief Inspector Carey had once observed, there are no pleasure parties punting about that stretch, and consequently when George Martin tumbled into his skiff on the Surrey side and began lustily to pull upstream, he was observed almost immediately by the river police. Pulling hard against the stream, it took him a long time to reach his destination. Stone steps near the point from which the second light had been shown. Rain had ceased, and the mist had cleared shortly after dusk as often happens at this time of year and because the night was comparatively clear the pursuing boats had to be handled with care george did not disembark at the stone steps but after waiting there for some time he began to drop down on the tide keeping close inshore he knows we've spotted him said sergeant combs who was in one of the river police boats it was at the stairs that he had to pick up his man. Certainly the tactics of George suggested that he recognized surveillance, and his purpose abandoned now sought to efface himself without delay. Taking advantage of every shadow, he resigned his boat to the gentle current. He had actually come to the entrance of Greenwich Reach, when a dock light shining out across the river outlined the boat yellowly. He's got a passenger, said Combs amazedly. Inspector White, who was in charge of the cutter, rested his arm on Combs's shoulder and stared across the moving tide. I can see no one, he replied. You're overanxious, Detective Sergeant, and I can understand it. Combs smiled heroically. I may be overanxious, Inspector, he replied, but if I lost Cincinnois, the river police had never even heard of him till the cid put him wise hm muttered the inspector do you suggest we board him no said combs let him land but don't trouble to hide any more show him we're in pursuit no longer drifting with the outgoing tide george martin had now boldly taken to the oars the river police boat close in his wake he headed for the blunt promontory of the isle of dogs the grim pursuit went on until i bet i know where he's for said combs so do i declared inspector white dougal's their anticipations were realized to the wooden stairs which served as a water gate for the establishment of the isle of dogs george martin ran in openly the police boat followed and you are right cried the inspector 
he has somebody with him a furtive figure bearing a burden upon his shoulder moved up the slope and disappeared a moment later the police were leaping ashore george deserted his boat and went running heavily after his passenger after them cried combs that's insinois around the mazy rubbish-strewn paths the pursuit went hotly in sight of dougal's combs saw the swing door open and a silhouette that of a man who carried a bag on his shoulder pass in george martin followed but the scotland yard man had his hand upon his shoulder police he said sharply who's your friend george turned red and truculent with clenched fists mind your own bloody business he roared mind yours my lad retorted combs warningly you're no thames water man who's your friend what's your mean shouted george you're up the pole or canned you are grab him said combs and he kicked open the door and entered the saloon followed by inspector white and the boat's crew as they appeared the inspector conspicuous in his uniform backed by the group of river police one of whom grasped george martin by his coat collar split bellowed dougal in a voice like a foghorn twenty cups of tea coffee and cocoa too hot for speedy assimilation were spilled upon the floor the place as usual was crowded more particularly in the neighborhood of the two stoves here were dock laborers seamen and riverside loafers lascars chinese arabs negroes and dagoes mrs dougal defiant and red browning arms folded and her pose as that of one contemplating a physical contest glared from behind the solid counter dougal rested his hairy arms upon the wet counter and revealed his defective teeth in a vicious snarl many of the patrons carried light baggage since a p and o boat an oriental and the s s Marata were sailing that night or in the early morning and dougal's was the favorite house of call for a dock and doric for sailormen particularly for sailormen of color upon the police group became focused the glances of light eyes and dark eyes round eyes almond-shaped eyes and oblique eyes silence fell we are police officers called combs formally all papers please thereupon without disturbance the inspector began and among the papers scrutinized were those of one chung chow an able-bodied chinese seaman but since his papers were in order and since he possessed two eyes and wore no pigtail he excited no more interest in the mind of detective sergeant combs than did any one of the other chinamen in the place a careful search of the premises led to no better result and george martin accounted for his possession of a considerable sum of money found upon him by explaining that he had recently been paid off after a long voyage and had been lucky at cards the result of the night's traffic then spelled failure for british justice the s s Marata sailed one stewardess short of her complement but among the chinese crew of another steamer eastward bound was one chung chow formerly known as sinsin wa and sometimes in the night watches there arose before him the picture of a black bird resting upon the knees of an aged chinaman beyond these figures dimly he perceived the paddy fields of honan and the sweeping valley of the yellow river where the opium poppy grows 
it was about an hour before the sailing of the ship which numbered chung chow among the yellow members of its crew that seaton pasha returned once more to the deserted wharf whereon he found mrs monty irvin's spaniel afterwards in the light of ascertained facts he condemned himself for a stupidity passing the ordinary for while he had conducted a careful search of the wharf and adjoining premises convinced that there was a cellar of some kind below he had omitted to look for a water-gate to this hypothetical cache perhaps his self-condemnation was deserved but in justice to the agent selected by lord rexborough it should be added that chief inspector carey had no more idea of the existence of such an entrance and exit than had seaton pasha leaving the dog at lamont street then and learning that there was no news of the missing chief inspector seaton had set out once more he had been informed of the mysterious signals flashed from side to side of the lower pool and was hourly expecting a report to the effect that Cincinnois had been apprehended in the act of escaping that Cincinnois had dropped into the turgid side from his underground hiding-place and pushing his property which was floatable before him encased in a waterproof bag had swum out and clung to the stern of george martin's boat as it passed close to the empty wharf neither seaton pasha nor any other man knew except george martin and cincinnois at a suitably dark spot the chinaman had boarded the little craft not without difficulty for his wounded shoulder pained him and had changed his sodden attire for a dry outfit which awaited him in the locker at the stern of the skiff the cunning of the chinese has the simplicity of true genius not two paces had seaton taken onto the mystifying wharf when sam tuck barber entrance in cellar rapped a ghostly muffled voice from beneath his feet sam tuck barber entrance in cellar seaton pasha stood still temporarily bereft of speech then carry he cried carry where are you but apparently his voice failed to reach the invisible speaker for sam tuck barber entrance in cellar repeated the voice seaton pasha wasted no more time he ran out into the narrow street a man was on duty there call assistance ordered seaton briskly send four men to join me at the barber shop call sam tucks you know it yes sir i searched it with chief inspector carey the note of a police whistle followed ten minutes later the secret of sam tucks cellar was unmasked the place was empty and the subterranean door locked but it succumbed to the persistent attacks of axe and crowbar and seaton pasha was the first of the party to enter the vault it was laden with chemical fumes he found there an aged chinaman dead seated by a stove in which the fire had burned very low sprawling across the old man's knees was the body of a raven lying at his feet was a woman lithe contorted the face half hidden in masses of bright red hair end case near the door rapped the voice of carey slides to the left seaton pasha vaulted over the counter drew the shelves aside and entered the inner room 
by the dim light of a lantern burning upon a moorish coffee table he discerned an untidy bed upon which a second woman lay pallid god he muttered this place is a morgue it certainly isn't healthy said an irritable voice from the floor but i think i might survive it if you could spare a second to untie me carrie's extensive practice in chewing and the enormous development of his maxillary muscles had stood him in good stead his keen strong teeth had bitten through the extemporized gag and as a result the tension of the handkerchief which had held it in place had become relaxed enabling him to rid himself of it and to spit out the fragments of filthy tasting wood which the biting operation had left in his mouth seaton turned stooped on one knee to release the captive and found himself looking into the face of someone who sat crouched upon the divan behind the chief inspector the figure was that of an oriental richly robed long slim ivory hands rested upon his knees and on the first finger of the right hand gleamed a big talismanic ring but the face surmounted by a white turban was wonderful arresting in its immobile intellectual beauty and from under the heavy brows a pair of abnormally large eyes looked out hypnotically my god whispered seaton then if you've finished your short prayer rapped carrie set about my little job but carrie carrie behind you i haven't any eyes in my back hair mechanically half fearfully seaton touched the hands of the crouching oriental a low moan came from the woman in the bed and it's kasma gasped seaton carrie kasma is a wax figure hell said chief inspector carrie end of chapter forty one recording by john brandon